after a long hour and a half of trying to change my tire because I'm very bad at it, but too stubborn to ask anyone for help. But also, not just changing your tire, having all of the weird transient people that walk around Troy stop and watch say, me. Hey, do you want some help? And then stay there after you say no and mansplain it all to you. Yeah, you know what I love? After all that happens to me for an hour and a half and I'm really tired. What? A nice cold Jack's Abbey house <laughs> lager beer. It's crisp. It's clean. It goes down like a dad beer in the best of ways. And it really makes you feel on your dirty calloused hands like, I fucking did something today. Yeah. Maybe I won't go ahead and immediately wash my hands. Maybe I'll just leave them dirty and right? crack open this beer and man spread on the couch. Yeah. Watch my shows and my sports. Put my hand down my pants. Put on that ESPN network. Yeah. You know what? This beer makes me do that. <laughs> and I'm not talking about this beer because they're sponsoring us. I'm talking about it because it's called House Lager. And tonight, yeah. we're talking about house music. By the way, we are not sponsored by Jack Sabby or anyone. <laughs> at all. No one, no one wants no one. to sponsor us. It's fine. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Candy, <laughs> the podcast that isn't sponsored. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to sponsor <laughs> us? Though we'll take it. We're we're not picky. I mean, maybe a little. I don't know if we're that picky, actually. A little bit picky. A little bit. Yeah. But also curious about your pitches. Bring us your pitches and your bitches. Yes. We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. <laughs> I'm Ashley. And yes, tonight. We are talking about house music. I am bringing you all the Your tale favorite. of Frankie Knuckles, like the fucking legendary Frankie Knuckles, the That's one who funny, I've I... never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I know because when I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna talk about Frankie Knuckles," you legit sent me a shrug emoji, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." I am going to learn quite a bit. Yeah, you are. You're gonna today. learn all about Frankie and house music, and yeah gonna be a good time it's gonna be a good ride i'm hoping to teach everybody something and just you know have a good time just relax after changing a tire I mean, for an honestly, hour and a fucking half actually i should have put on house music to change my tire <laughs> it could have at least drowned out like the the looky lose yeah who were like i'm gonna watch you and mansplain to you how to change a tire but then they just would have wanted to like rave with you tire change rave I hope they wouldn't. Boots I was... and pants and boots and pants. <laughs> oh, God, I love house music. It's so good. Somebody has to. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of people like house music. How dare you? I was just joking. I know. It's okay. But for all the cool kids in the know, I hope you guys appreciate and enjoy this. I'm sure we will. Yeah. We'll have a good time regardless. I mean, honestly. House music's always a good time. Yeah. So tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, citing my sources is difficult. This was a very, very hard topic to research because there are I'm no sure <sighs> there aren't. There are books like Frankie Knuckles is hard to research in general. He doesn't have a biography or anything out, so I I had to look up a lot of interviews, and I found some good a few good docs on youtube as well like i was there when house music started mm -hmm. um and then there's a really good interview with frankie knuckles for the red bull music academy i'm, I'm sorry that, i know that whole i know that whole statement sentence, makes no sense it doesn't but they actually have a really good series of 
interviews. Of course, the crazy ass fucking energy drink company would have a a school for dance. Yeah, house music. I, of course just they music. would. Yeah. Of course they would. Yeah, it's like a whole series. Yeah, sure. But it's uh, it was actually really really good, and I would highly suggest it if you want like a better idea of who Frankie is as a person. Okay, it's great. No, I I really enjoyed it. Um. Yeah, it was a lot of just like interviews and like a couple um uh just articles in general that would like talk about the beginnings of house and it's from it like different people's perspectives yeah, yeah. and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's funny cuz you will get a lot of different perspectives. <laughs> but I think generally the sentiment is the same, so. Okay. You know. Okay. But yeah, that's a lot of it was just a lot of deep digging. It wasn't like one straight source. So sometimes that happens with us and it's tougher. I feel like that's tougher. Oh, yeah. Than just having like a really good Because then it's like, well, what is my angle here? Because yeah. I have like 20 different ones to choose from. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's then, always what gets me. And sometimes coming up with your own angle is more difficult than writing your fucking notes to begin with. Yeah. Do you ever get halfway through your notes and you're like, this isn't the way I want to approach this at all. I got to scrap this whole fucking thing. I haven't done that yet, but I've definitely been like, well, I'm fucking doing this. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. We'll make it work. There's a there's a peek behind the curtain for yeah. you guys out there. A little, little look, looky-loos. Yeah. A little fucking weirdo voyeurs. Yeah, right. Don't mansplain Disgusting. to us how to do our research. Gross. <laughs> Unless you have a I cute dog. You, I know what you like. It's disgusting. <laughs> Well, as far as what I like, it's house music. Yeah. So let's talk about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so today when we talk about EDM and electronica music, most people immediately picture some gangly white dude behind a computer screen, perhaps with some moderately talented singer, female, you know, accompanying and his an unhealth- formulaic beats. <laughs> and an unhealthy obsession with veganism and Natalie Portman. Sorry, I'm, I think we're just still really upset that the chain smokers exist. And also Moby. Yeah. yeah. But the ones we should really be celebrating are the minorities, the queer and or the people of color, for creating such a broad genre of music, notably starting with house music. This is almost, you know, slightly or majorly reminiscent of the disco episodes. Oh, it, sh- it will be. Oh, yeah. It okay. very much will be. Gotcha. And also, kind of reminded me of the death episode. Uh, really? Metal, not the punk band. Right. Yeah. Okay, I I this is yeah I'm getting this I I understand now because while I will focus on centrally one person, it is also the beginning of a genre. Innovator and mold breaker. Exactly. Holy shit. Yep. Okay, I got. Thank you for saying that because gotcha, now bitch. I get it. I'm in. Gotcha, I'm in bitch. it. <laughs> I'm here for it now. This story celebrates the Godfather of House himself, Frankie Knuckles. A man who knew from a very young age that his calling was under the dim lights of a club where he would provide never-before-heard sounds that the sweaty audience would not be able but to help to dance to. Mm -hmm. However, this isn't just a story about the DJ himself, but also the beginnings of house music itself and others that would play their own parts along the way. There's a lot of people here. And I'm gonna not going to lie, I'm going to say it up front again. If you guys are more interested in house, please check out all the docs that are on YouTube because I do miss some people and I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. A true innovator, Frankie wanted to create nonstop music so people could dance all night long. Oh, sexy. Yeah. 
Because of him, others felt inspired to put their own spin on his ideas, and out of these small beginnings, we have a real underdog genre, house music, which has spread across the globe and gets everyone dancing. Mm -hmm. But before house music, there was disco, which many of our listeners know about from our disco episodes. Yeah, if you haven't heard those yet, go back and uh, check those out. They're good. Two-parter, not that long ago. Yeah, not long ago at all. All the same, I would like to bring us back to the infamous night in which Disco was killed. Ah, Disco Demolition Night? Yeah. Picking up where we left off. Picking up where we left off a few months ago. Yeah. Honestly, we are. Thursday night, July 12th, 1979. Comiskey Park in Chicago ended their doubleheader early after a disgruntled disc jockey named Steve Dahl organized an event called Disco Demolition. Which boo, was supposed Steve, boo, boo, yuck. You suck. Suck. <laughs> you suck. It was supposed to take place between the games. So patrons were encouraged to bring disco records, quote unquote, to destroy for a discounted ticket. The thing was, many of these records weren't actually of the disco genre. Many were soul, blues, Motown, a.k.a. Albums. Black music. Yeah, I don't even know. I, I just yeah. sort of like, yes, black people. Yeah. Black people music. Yeah, a bunch it's of white kids just almost like burning them all. Great. Covert racist. I don't know if it was so covert, but, you know, nobody said any. Nobody outright said it. It was a real wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. So when the crate of vinyl was blown up by Steve, the crowd went wild. People jumped out of their seats and rushed the field. They caused massive amounts of damage through the rioting, making the field unplayable for the next game. Rioting destroys innocent people's property. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But like. This these, was dumb. These are the same. Yeah. These are mm. the same people. Yeah. Just in case you didn't. You Just weren't trying to track. make the connection here. Oh, I was there for it. <laughs> They were sending a message to anyone they deemed as, quote unquote, the other that night. Whether yeah. some realized it or not, if you're a person of color, if you're queer, if you're a sexually liberated woman, you better know your place and stay out of the way. Yeah, because these privileged white male assholes are, they're coming for you. Ooh, and they're coming hard. And they angry. They so angry. They're like, oh, my disco. <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> Pretty much that was the argument. Yeah. As soon as the next day, in some cases, the clubs that were hailed as disco havens were being shut down to immediately be switched to, like, rock or country western bars. Mm -hmm. Disco may have been deemed dead, but the DJs were not ready to give up. They saw this as an opportunity to grow and fully realize the potential their beats could have on the dance floor. And at this point... In the very city that held the demolition, there was a club where the others would gather and they were still welcome to dance the night away while Frankie Knuckles provided their soundtrack of their freedom. What city was it? Chicago. Chicago, okay. Let's rewind a touch, though, and head back on to 1955. Whoa, in the Wayback Machine. In the Wayback Machine. Where Frankie was born Francis Warren Nichols Jr., a notoriously private person, there isn't too much known about his childhood, but music was always somewhere there in the backdrop. He grew up listening to his sister's record collection. First, didn't we all? Didn't we all? Honestly. Uh, kind of did. 
First, it was the classic jazz standards, but by the 60s, it turned into soul music from groups like Ashford and Simpson and the Delphonics. Another random tidbit that probably had no influence was that Frankie lived across the street from Luther Vandross. No shit. Yeah. They rode the subway together to school, and when they got off, Luther went his way to the High School of Music and Art, and Frankie went his way to the High School of Art and Design. I need this comic to be written, because this is adorable. Yeah, and they just became like, you know, little like subway buds. Oh, that's what it can be called. Subway Subway Buds. buds. Subway Buds. There you go. I'm waiting for it. (laughs) Feel free to write that, anyone. Free idea. You're welcome. Seriously. New York City wasn't a great time back then. Oh, this was 60s, 70s? We're talking the 1970s. Yikes. Yeah, City was kind of on its way to total collapse. This was Son of Sam era. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Like, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Not a fun time. Nope. So Frankie couldn't wait to get himself out of there. Since he was young, he had a passion and aptitude for clothing design, so he would end up studying at FIT in Manhattan. Ooh. I know, he bougie. One night, Frankie was helping a friend of his work on a ball gown for an event happening that coming weekend. Eventually, another kid would pop in to give a hand, and this is when Frankie met his musical counterpart, Larry Levon. That's a good name. Right? Now, Larry was quite the influential house DJ himself, so allow me to diverge into his story just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Born in 1954 in Brooklyn with a congenital heart disease, he could be a bit of a sickly kid. Oh. He was a little sick boy. Little Ringo. (laughs) Aw. Yeah. Little Ringo. Little Ringo. So he ended up excelling in his studies and was a very bright child who could use the record player by the age of three. Larry would put on records and dance with his mother for hours. It's a very cute little story. Aww. She was like, Larry, you just put on records and we'd dance. I would do the same thing. I would make my parents do the same thing, except we couldn't dance. Because if you even tried to walk in our house while the record player was playing, <laughs> skip like a motherfucker. See, now, I thought you were going to say we couldn't dance because we're white. Because we in Footloose <laughs> and my parents are John Lithgow. <laughs> Both of your parents are collectively John Lithgow. <laughs> and I, me and my sister are collectively Kevin Bacon. I mean, he, he doesn't deserve that. He did live not very far. That's from true. my hometown. Still does. He was never afraid to be himself, which of course made him a target for the kids to bully. Of course. His flamboyant nature and orange dyed hair let everyone know he was not your stereotypical male. Sweet dreams are made of these. I like, you know, bright orange hair. Yeah. In high. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, who doesn't? I don't know. I was thinking about the fact that one of the things that I read. About his orange hair, they had they made note to say this was years before the punks were doing it, and I'm like, yeah, because black is punk. Yeah, black gays are punk. Yeah, they're they're not allowed in the punk scene <laughs> half the time, but they're more punk than the whole punk scene. Punk is a thing. It I'm is. Not, I'm not gonna get it. it. Is, I'm isn't not. It? I'm not. I can't. I can't. You can't. Not now. Not not now. Not ever. <laughs> not now. Not ever. In high school, he dropped out and got heavily involved in Harlem's ball culture, making dresses for the participants. Ooh. Do you know about the Harlem ball cu- culture? All I am picturing is Paris is burning, and I don't think that is the same thing. That's delightful, and I love that that's where you went with that. Yeah. Actually, so I had to look this up, because I'm like, what are they talking about, the balls? I'm like, not like a fucking bougie-ass, like, 
dancy pantsy ball yeah it's not they're drag shows that yeah they're drag shows yeah like, like paris is burning i've never seen paris is burning <laughs> i'm sorry well like the whole like gay culture at least in new york city very early on and like during paris is burning when that documentary was made um they would go to balls mm. it's also in uh the netflix show um pose nope it's never saw it it's <laughs> It's all about, like, the ball culture. Like, before Vogue by Madonna came out. Yes. Like, the thing, the the club scene there for gay people was balls. Yep. And they would get dressed up, they would do their drag, they would dress to the nines, and they would basically just, you know, like, have contests. Yeah, they'd still had do, like, the, the lip syncing yeah. and the dancing. It was like RuPaul's Drag Race, bef- way before RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, like, RuPaul's Drag Race... Is got the cul- idea oh, from yeah. ball culture absolutely ball. but also like rupaul was part of that culture yes. very when rupaul early on. was cool yeah rupaul b- was before part of the rupaul had allowed people to frack on his land yes and this is decided trans people don't count in the contest yes again we digress not not now not now <laughs> so by the time larry and frankie met they were somewhere around the ages of 15 16 The night they met, they clicked immediately, and a lifelong friendship was formed. By this time, they were discovering the nightlife that New York City had to offer them, and Frankie would spend the week creating outfits for the two of them to wear on Saturday nights. The club scene took them almost immediately, with the feel of freedom on the dance floor and the hypnotizing beats coming from the speakers. I feel like this is, like, literally a plotline from Pose. (laughs) I haven't watched all of Pose yet. I've seen bits and pieces. But from what I've seen, it's like, yep, 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 this is it. (laughs) They might have taken the story (laughs) for a plot. Who knows? Who knows? Eventually, they would cross paths with the one and only David Minusco, who you may remember from our disco episodes as the owner of the infamous Loft, the nightclub that was in his apartment, and he would have the parties to pay his rent. And it was a nightclub where gays and people of color would just come to experience 12 plus hours of music and dancing every Saturday night. Sure. <laughs> that I, happened. I, was, I talked about that. I was that. drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Were you Probably drunk? wasn't, but I just have a really bad memory. Look, we talk about a lot of things. Yeah. So I get it. It's This is, every episode is like an exam. As soon as we do our notes, we do the episode, I forget everything. Oh my God. I forget everything from my own fucking episodes. Yeah. David liked the boys and thought they would fit in well at the loft, so he extended invites for them to come to the parties at the exclusive New York City hotspot. And this is where the two DJs would be thrust into their humble beginnings. Hmm. <coughs> oh. They eventually met iconic DJ Nikki Siano, an OG of the disco world and owner of the gallery, which is another one of the biggest clubs of the time. Mm-hmm. He also took to the young pair... With Larry, it was a little bit more than platonically. Oh. Mm. And asked them to work for him at the gallery, helping to decorate, mostly blowing up balloons. And it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, they would come in and blow up balloons and like do some decorating before each party. But also for a hot second, I thought you were going to be like, and blowing each other. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, <laughs> maybe. I thought that's where you were going with I mean, you know what? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not going to say that didn't happen. That's full speculation, but it could have happened. Yeah. Like, I think it's realistic speculation. Honestly. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Good for them. 
You do you. Yeah. You do your blowing. It's fine. <laughs> do your blowing. That's great. You and need you anything? Just you save need some, some rubbers. Air. You kids keep me young. <laughs> just save some air for those balloons. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> it would be Nikki who would ultimately open the door to the life of a DJ for Frankie and Larry. Seeing their passion for the music, he began to teach them the trade, specifically his three turntable technique that he used to keep the music going nonstop. Oh, shit. Yeah, right? Nikki, if you're going to learn from somebody. That is a technique. It's Nikki. Yeah. He knew what was up. Mm-hmm. Larry was quickly budding as a DJ, but Frankie was hesitant to see this as something he would do for a living. It was just a fun way to kill some time. Because back then, being a DJ only had a lifespan of about five years. You know, most people would move on to something else after that Mm because it wasn't really seen as a career. It wasn't something that you did after you're done being a reality TV star and you have nothing else on your resume. What? Parasolin. I was like, you're referencing something, but I have no idea what it is. Basically, like, every reality TV star that, like, had a good run on reality TV, then got really into, like, drugs or just hit rock bottom somehow, somewhere, sometime. Mm. And then a couple of years later emerged as a quote-unquote underground DJ. Yeah. Maybe oh, you're right. Parasolin. You're right. Probably, like, Lindsay Lohan, too, or something. Maybe. Despite Frankie not wanting or thinking DJing was a possible career for him, it didn't stop others from seeing his potential. Eventually, one of his friends asked him if he would pick up a night at the club called Better Days. It was a kind of a pretty small club, but there were still a few familiar faces that would pop in now and then. It's an interesting name for a club. Yeah. Better Days. Yeah. It's a little (laughs) bit of a downer. I mean, it's New York City in in the 70s. Which is a downer, period. Better days. Yeah. So Frankie worked Monday nights. It was not usually bumping all that much, but one time Andy Warhol came in with one of his models, Varushka, and they danced for quite a while to Frankie's set, clearly impressed with what they were hearing. Wow. You know, if Andy Warhol likes it. It, Then it better, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I actually don't know that much about Andy Warhol. Life cereal good. Ooh. Andy likes it. Look, it's Andy, good. he likes it. <laughs> Give it to Andy. He'll try anything. Yeah. It's really into those Campbell soup cans. <laughs> Maybe I don't trust Andy's opinion. Soup is disgusting. I like soup. It's not even food. It's chunky drink. I. It's, it's not food. <laughs> Fine. It's chunky <laughs> drink. But I still like it. Frankie and Larry were both gathering small followings and were beginning to make names for themselves in the underground scene. Good for them. But that doesn't mean they weren't still foolish teenage boys. Oh. One morning, around 5.30 in the morning, they left the club feeling pretty damn hungry and they noticed a donut truck on the street. Ooh. And clearly the truck, right? You're like, fuck, there's a donut truck. That's like everybody's dream. You come out of the club at 5.30 in the morning, there's There's a a donut donut truck? Yeah. Clearly, the driver was in the middle of a delivery because the door was wide open. So the boys thought, it's a perfect chance for free breakfast. <laughs> Let me just alleviate you from all these donuts. Seriously, I'll help you. I'll share the, the load. load. <laughs> with with all these giant rings of donuts. Oh, my God. This is just a Lord of the Rings parody waiting it to is, happen. It is. Running away, stacks of donuts in their hands... 
They quit. This, is, they would, this would be perfect for the comic book. Yeah. But where's Luther Vandross in this? Are we just going to supplement Larry for Luther? Luther for Larry. Oh, yeah. Well, we can put Luther in here somewhere. Yeah. He's going to be like, guys, don't do it. <laughs> He's like, nah, don't do it. What are you He's doing? Like eating all of the donuts. <laughs> So, running away with stacks of donuts in their hands, they quickly came face-to-face with the police, who put them in handcuffs right away. They're fucking donuts! I know. But they're uh, black. But they're black, so... Mm. Yeah, this makes sense, pieces of shit. Yeah. Since they were still underage, they had landed themselves spots in a juvenile detention center. It's donuts! Oh my god! It's donuts! In 1970s New York City, you didn't have bigger fish to fry? Oh, they had plenty of other fish to fry. They had much bigger, much more gigantic and dangerous fish to fry. They're fucking teenagers and they stole donuts. Yeah. Who cares? Oh my yeah. God, this makes me so angry. Okay, I'm going to shut up and stop. Good does come out of this. Okay. Please get to that part because I'm angry. It, what was cute is Larry apparently played it cool the whole time. He's just like, whatever. He's just like... He has, like, a cigarette in his mouth, just like, I don't give a fuck. And, like, Frankie is bugging out. He's <laughs> crying, saying, my Aww. parents are going to kill me. Oh, my God. And Larry's like, whatever. In a way, though, music did save their lives. Really? Upon entering Juvie, they realized one of the center's counselors was a familiar face. Robert Williams, another frequent club and party goer, was looking the boys in the face <laughs> And knew a few truths, mainly that these were good kids, that they didn't do anything all that bad. They stole donuts. At least there's somebody with like a decent. Head he on legit their shoulders looked at their there. chart and looked at them. and He said, "You guys are fucking stupid." <laughs> but also, they knew about his personal life outside of his nine to five, and if they felt like it, they could ruin his professional life. True, because you know. It, not for nothing, if you're a man going to these bars, it's most likely you're gay. Yeah. Because a lot of these places are invite only, and they're only inviting either like gay people, people of color. People they know. Chill women. rat them out. Exactly. Like people who they know. Like you only get in if you are like, nah, they cool. Yeah. That's it. So they know. And in the 70s, you can't be a fucking cop and be gay. Yeah. But also, if they rat him out, they're ratting themselves out. So, but still, there's always the threat. Yeah. You know what? Not worth it. Yeah. So, for the two weeks that they were behind bars, Robert made sure nothing all that bad happened to them. Well, Kind of kept good. an eye on them, just made sure they got in and out, you know. But it still pisses me off that now they have a record. For stealing I fucking think donuts. because they were juvenile, like, it didn't stay on their record. Like, I think they turned 18 and it, like, was wiped or something. Hopefully. I forgot. I forgot what happened, but Frankie, I feel like Frankie mentioned something about, like, that was the only time they were ever in trouble anyway. But I feel like he said something, like, it didn't stay on the permanent record. Yeah. Maybe there's a, like, a, you know thing statute of limitations or something i don't, I don't know where it just gets expunged from your record either way either way i don't think they would ever have to worry about it yeah <laughs> yeah a friendship formed from that time that would very much come to benefit frankie and larry that's good busy with the gallery nikki had to leave his gig at the continental baths if you're wondering if the baths are what you think they are the answer is yes yes 
They are very much exactly what you think they are. Indeed. There was a pool and a sauna, bunk beds, TVs, and a small dance floor. And this place had everything, even vending machines of KY jelly and a weekly STD clinic. At least they were taking care of people. Right? Shit. I know. That's like (laughs) the YMCA. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) YMCA. <laughs> the YMCA, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> Knowing they'd be in need of a DJ, Nikki suggested Larry, and that quickly became his full time gig. And at soon, the baths? Yeah, the baths. Oh. And soon after that, he would bring on Frankie as well. The Continental was a playground for them. Yeah. Full of fun, but also a great place to experiment and work on their DJ skills. And a safe place to experiment with the STD clinic. Yes. On staff. I mean, when I said experiment, I did mean musically, but also, you know what? With their buttholes. I was going to say, butt stuff. Butt stuff. Or other stuff. Good for them. You know what? I don't want to pigeonhole anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Hole. Still 12. <laughs> Balls. <laughs> Balls. Holes. <laughs> we should just open up our donut place and call it Balls and Holes. Holes and Balls. Balls in the holes. Just leave stacks out for people to steal and not let them get in trouble for it. <laughs> for Larry, it eventually felt limiting. He began to crave a new experience. He was dating sound system designer Richard Long, another famous name in the <laughs> house story. <laughs> Dick Long. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that dick long. Oh, this is so gay. This is the gayest story I'm telling. No, I'm I'm here for every fucking minute of it. Here for it. Oh, God. I love it. I love all these people. Yes. Mr. Long was also another famous name in the story of house music. He's a famous name everywhere. Dick Long. He is responsible for helping DJs pump out some of the funkiest bass-heavy beats anyone has ever heard, and they undoubtedly held some influence to strive for more. Also, I do realize now I said that Dick Long is responsible for helping DJs pump (laughs) out. I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm glad you said it, so I don't have to say it. Guys, this is uh, really like this is just pure sex. Dick Long is really pumping it out. I I think I might have just been really horny writing these notes <laughs> and not realized it. I I'm here for it. Though. There's worse stories I could be horny during. Absolutely. <laughs> Richard's position likely got Larry a new gig at the Soho place, but when Larry told the Continental he was out. They were most displeased at the news, and so they told him he would not be allowed to come back to the baths ever again. Why? Because they were mad. So? Like, get somebody else. Well, so not only that, but then they turned around and offered Frankie his spot, as well as four times the salary Larry was making. Shit. It was $200 a night for Frankie to DJ. Wow. That's pretty fucking great. In the fucking 70s? I would take $200 a night now. Yeah. Seriously. Shit. Yep. Good for him. I know. Through all this bullshit, the guys couldn't deny that this was a pretty amazing opportunity for Frankie. Despite how mad Larry was at the Continental, he told his friend to take the job. Good. That is a good friend. Mm -hmm. At least he was mad at the Continental and not at Frankie. Oh, 100. And Frankie even said... 
I needed to talk to Larry before I could take oh, this yeah, job. Absolutely. Like, they were very, very good, close friends. Neither was going to like turn around and backstab yeah. the other. They were going to make the decision together. That is a healthy friendship. They have a healthy friendship. Usually you don't find a healthy friendship like that until you're in your 30s. I know. Good for them. And they fucking did it. Of course, after Frankie took over, several of their mutual friends stopped talking to him as they thought he fucked his friend over. Well, maybe they should have had a nice, honest conversation with him and then they wouldn't have been so fucking pissy. Yeah, right? Maybe you wouldn't be so salty if you just talked to him. Yeah. Hmm. A common theme you are probably seeing at this point is that a DJ rarely holds on to a residency for that long. Mm -hmm. After about a year and a half, Frankie was feeling burnt out on the baths as well and was ready to move on. At this point, while he did have a decent following, his style was quite similar to Larry's. In order to grow as a musician, he was going to need to grow as a person and get a complete change of scenery. But also, I kind of feel like DJs, if they will change venue, then they're following is going to follow them anyway so yeah i mean you can move on and people are still going to come see you precisely but maybe not in this scenario oh okay i'm wrong (laughs) well i mean you wouldn't be wrong if if he stayed in new york city but oh well that's completely different yeah i was like well they're not gonna follow him all the way to chicago yeah no so this is where our familiar corrections officer robert williams comes back into their lives in 1976 He'd spent some time in Chicago. Like, he just said, fuck this corrections officer shit. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go to Chicago. And I'm going to eat up that club scene. It's not a fun job. No. So he was inspired to change careers entirely. Ooh, in order do? So in order to expand the disco dance culture, he was going to open up his own night spot called The Warehouse. Good for him. Yep. It was going to be Following right in Chicago. Following his dream. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be any old club. He was creating a three-story dance haven, and like the loft, it would only allow those with a membership. So, like, you kind of had to be okayed, and Uh if you were okayed with a membership, you could come in, and you were allowed to bring, like, a friend. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. In order to make this the very best spot in the area, he was going to need the very best music, and he knew just who he wanted at the helm of this. Robert called up Larry and asked him if he would be interested in being his musical director. Oh, so he called Larry. Mm-hmm. And a flattered Larry had to refuse his old friend. Oh. By this time, he was working on opening up his own club with Richard called the Paradise Garage, which is also another very iconic club in New York City. Okay. But what kind of friend would Larry be if he didn't immediately suggest Frankie to go in his stead? When Richard approached Frankie, he didn't get the enthusiasm he imagined. Frankie was hesitant to go for it. This would be a real commitment, and he wasn't willing to just jump into another DJ gig without having a little bit more power over his craft. Okay. Robert agreed that Frankie would own a part of the business and paid for his plane tickets to and from Chicago. It was a tentative few months, but soon enough, Frankie decided to fully embrace the change and uprooted himself to the Midwest permanently. Probably a good idea. Oh, it was a very good idea. New York City wasn't exactly, um, great. Right. But. Especially for a gay man. Yeah. At that point. Well, that's funny, too. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. But I think the bigger thing was at that point, New York City was pretty oversaturated with DJs. Yeah. And I think going to the Chicago scene, there was still a bunch of people, but it wasn't as overlapping 
Uh-huh. And I think it was going to give him more freedom to experiment and learn from new people. But also, like, take what he learned in New York City and bring it to a brand new place. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was just a lot of opportunity for him here. Yeah. For what it's worth, Frankie said Chicago was a bit of a culture shock to him. In contrast to New York City, the Windy City was much more segregated with certain parts being very white and others being very black Mm -hmm. and spots of other colors in between. Mm -hmm. But Frankie said, I'm used to, you know, living in a building where I have an Asian neighbor and, you know, a Puerto Rican neighbor down the hall and then a white person living above me. Very Italian person on the first floor. Exactly. So he was very taken aback by how stark it was. In yeah. terms of race, there. it might be a big city, but um, still quite Midwest. Quite Midwest. Initially, starting at the warehouse, he noticed the crowds were predominantly black, and this felt wrong to him. He wanted to see more diversity on the dance floor. He wanted to draw in everyone he could with his music, so he began to truly create his own sound during these years in order to bring more people to the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And he was mixing a variety of records that no one had heard mixed together before. Disco still had a small place in the set, but he was throwing in stuff like Grace Jones, Georgie Mordair, Yoko Ono, and just beyond. Mm-hmm. He had a crazy wild set. All that fucking set. weird shit. Weird shit. Yeah. But he would mix it with sweet beats, and everyone's like, well, this works, even though it's fucking weird. <laughs> he would use two turntables with the same record, and so that way he could make the song last longer or just repeat the breakdown. And everyone knew they were at a Frankie Knuckles set when they would hear the sound of an oncoming train approaching, which was his signature sound. That's pretty awesome. He would turn the lights off and just like play a fucking. <laughs> and people, like, I guess apparently the first couple times he did it, people kind of freaked out. Like, is there fucking seriously a train coming here? <laughs> don't fuck with people on drugs, man. They don't know. <laughs> The warehouse had a supreme sound system. It enhanced the music so the dancer could feel it in their bodies. Along with the otherworldly sounds no one had experienced before, many of the patrons didn't feel they even needed to be on drugs to enjoy themselves. The music just got them high naturally. Well, I'm sure their dare officers would be very proud. Right? Scruff McGruff, (laughs) Chicago, (laughs) Illinois, 60652. He's... Chuffed his puffs right now. Yeah, he's very, very happy. Scruff McGruff is like, house music is something I can get behind. <laughs> I think that's Scruff McGruff's voice. I don't remember. That's close enough. Right? Yeah. He was he very a, like, Meh. you don't want to do drugs, kids. I think. <laughs> email me. <laughs> what what the emails? <laughs> no, I'm just, just strong now you're bad. Just strong bad all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> I like the house musics. It's real good. The cheat. The cheat. (laughs) As Frankie got bigger in the community, he also made friends with other DJs and producers. One of his friends, Erasmo Rivera, asked to borrow his records so he could record them to tape. After hearing a mix and the way Erasmo was able to, like, mix up with the songs, he felt like this is something he could dabble with. The only thing was it was on analog tape, which Erasmo only knew how to edit because he was in engineering school. Oh. And they taught them, like, how to, like, mix and cut up tape. I mean, 
more power to him because I have no idea how that could possibly work. I started to kind you're, of think about. I know, like you're they're making, knockers. You're making hand gestures, like you're like, er, er, like I'm twisting titties. Like but no, I'm trying tits. to like make the hand gesture of like giant analog tape. Yeah, things. I understand that. No, but I it know. Looks but like it you're looks just like trying titties. to twist my tits. I mean, <laughs> why not both? Why? <laughs> Well, okay, so it can be both. It's it's fine. It's not just something that anybody can do, but Frankie was like, I don't care. So he asked his friend. It's not everybody can do that. Holy shit, no. Well, so basically he asked his friend to give him the fast and dirty on how to mark up tape properly using a spice splicing block. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, you just like cut up the tapes and you just literally cut it and glue it back together. No. This no. And, like, but there's, like, a specific way you have to cut it and, like, reattach. Like, it is a fucking art. Yeah. It is not just something you can In order to, do. like, blend them all together properly. Yep. Yeah, no. It was in fucking insane. I, I can barely my get my head around it. fat sausage fingers would not be able to be that deft. No. And they look like big, strong hands. They're not that deft. Yeah. I am the rock biter at this point from Never Ending Story. Like, they look like big, strong hands, but they can't splice no analog tape. Oh, my goodness. So together they took a warehouse staple. Let no man put asunder by first choice. Sure. Yeah. I had looked it up. It's, it's a decent, it's just a little, like, you know, lady disco it's tune. It's pop. Yeah. And together they created an edited version and took it to a whole new level with the crowds of dancers. It took some troubleshooting, but eventually Frankie was able to make his own mixes on tape, splicing up the tape in such a way that it added whole new dimensions and effects to these songs. You'd get them on cassette and then just hand them out to his friends to listen to between gigs. Okay. So would he play these tapes at his shows or was he still DJing the same thing? Yeah, he was still DJing, but he was learning how to basically make these DJ sets, put them to analog tape. Uh, what year was this? When was this? Late seventies. It was kind of like oh, throughout okay. the years of the late seventies to early eighties. Okay. Like I, I shit. I don't even. I said it was like seventy nine, eighty. I am but I could be wrong. Not gonna lie, I don't even know when cassettes came out. Eighties. That's what I thought. But if this is late seventies, maybe seven. Oh, seventies. I don't know. I don't know. It must be seventies. What are eight tracks? <laughs> like when did the eight track die? But, like, what are eight tracks? Is that analog tape? I don't even know. I I've never looked know. inside never, one. Yep. No, nope, never just really bricks. looked at one. I know what they are. It's a brick. They're bricks. You put in a thing. Bricks of tape. Bricks and things. Tape brick. <laughs> brick of tape. Brick of tape. Come down to brick of tape <laughs> on Saturdays. We got half brick price tape, tape bricks. We got all your brick of tape needs with your bricks and you got the tapes. splicing blocks and the analog tapes make your brick tape here at brick tape <laughs> yep <laughs> special brick tape classes on sundays bring all your brick tapes we'll splice them we'll dice them you get new brick tapes half off yeah <laughs> i hope our prices aren't too low <sighs> We'll never make money off these brick of tapes. God damn it. Well, back to the tapes themselves. Oh, yes. <laughs> Whether he knew it or not, this became a great way for Frankie to spread his music to a wider audience, to people who may not have ever heard these sounds otherwise, and helped to grow the crowds coming out to hear this newfangled house music. Oh. House music finally developed a name around this time. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, how did it become house music? I'm going to tell you. This new genre was stepping out behind the rubble of disco, and no one was quite sure what to call it. And within his time at the warehouse, Frankie had created such a fervor that the club became a must-see to anyone who heard about it. So was it called house music because where house? Yes. Ah. Seeing a sign outside a tavern that said, we play house music, Frankie asked his friend, what, what, what's house music? And his friend laughed and said, it's the music he played at the warehouse. Frankie was taken aback, telling his friend he didn't realize it had a name. His so friend Frankie re- didn't even come up with it. He did not. Huh. His huh. friend replied by telling him it was for the house, which everyone had shortened the warehouse to. Obviously. Oh, that makes sense. Everybody used to start calling the warehouse the house, and then they're like, I want to hear house music, like the music at the house. I like how Frankie is just kind of like derping through this whole thing. He's like so completely aloof. unaware of everything. Just like completely focused on what he's doing yep. and not aware of anything else. Like the only things he wants to do at this point is just like DJ, run, like do his own thing. Yeah. With DJing. And also, he is very big in collaborating. He wants to work with other people. He just he wants, wants to, to do, learn. He just wants to do DJ shit with his friends. Yeah, mom, I'm just doing DJ shit with my friends. That's all he wants to do. God. <laughs> <laughs> While Frankie was achieving his goal of getting more diversity sharing the club space, leave it to us straights to ruin everything. Because <laughs> that's what we do best. Yep. Sorry. We're really good at it. <laughs> Eventually, people began sneaking in and the members-only role was thrown out the window. Fucking assholes. Fights were breaking out and general danger was just lingering in the air. I didn't know I'm straight and ruin everything. Well, you do. But now you do. Now you know. This and the fact that Frankie was beginning to want more control over the business eventually led him to leave the warehouse in 1982 to open up his own club, The Power Plant. The warehouse, the power plant. I feel like this is a very industrial, industrial. city. Yeah. Which it is, isn't it? I, I guess. Sure. Midwest is quite industrial. It, Industrious. And at some point, every city was fucking industrial. And then some really rose above it and others just fucking crashed and burned. It was all a nightmare. Basically. <laughs> After like 1920, all of it was a fucking nightmare. And we've been living in that nightmare ever since. Yes, we have. Cool. While it became a popular spot in Chicago, the many followers of Frankie Knuckles followed him wherever he went. Running a club. Yeah, right. Oh, no, you were right. I wasn't saying you weren't right. I just meant (laughs) in that scenario, it wasn't going to play out At least in the same city. Yes. So you were right. Thank you. The followers are going to follow. Yeah. But running a club would soon take a backseat to his next big adventure, producing. Oh. So, little side note here. While he wanted to make a bigger impact in what people were playing at the clubs in general, so he started to work at a record store as a buyer, he was in charge of getting the products to put out on the floor and would end up focusing a lot on imports, vinyls from Europe and Canada especially. Mm-hmm. Back in the day... Record stores had a vinyl pool where DJs with memberships could come pick their set music from. Oh. Yeah. That's nice. Right? They don't do that anymore. Mm. Frankie didn't like the limited selections and quantities of records coming in, so he would order a bit more in order to even out the playing field. 
He believed in everyone having a chance to experiment and showcase their mixes. It made the scene that much more interesting. But he should know that the Japanese exports are the ones that are where it's at. Oh, yeah. The Japanese exports always have, like, the best extra shit on them. Yeah. You're like, why does Japan get all this sweet shit? Oh, it's because they they charge a lot. Yeah. They charge a lot for music over there. Yeah. They got to make it fucking worth it. But they're also, like, fucking fanatics for it. If they like something... Throughout all of this, he would still dabble here and there with producing, but it would be one person in particular who would push him to take it seriously. Chicago native budding musician Jamie Principal, who is now another legend in the world of house music. <laughs> Again, there's a lot of supporting players in this. Yeah. Okay, so there are three versions of this story. They all start out the same, with Jamie writing music and lyrics to a poem he wrote for his girlfriend at the time, ultimately calling it Your Love. Some say he created the demo, and after running the DJ circles, it landed in the hands of Frankie, who really dug it, added it to his sets, and that made it like a certified jam. Mm -hmm. Frankie says Jamie came into the store with a mutual friend of theirs, Jose Gomez, and asked him to produce a song for him. No mention of a demo. In fact, Frankie was skeptical about how serious Jamie was because he didn't take himself seriously as a producer. But they ultimately worked together and came up with the hit song. The way Jamie tells it, he created the demo but was too intimidated by Frankie to show it to him. So Jose brought it to Frankie behind Jamie's back. Frankie really liked it and said he'd work with Jamie to extend it into a legit mix. And that would be the beginning of their creative journey. This is all very complicated. It is. I think I'm assuming the truth is somewhere in the middle of those three since they're all kind of close anyway. Uh huh. No matter how it happened... Your Love became the first famous house song. Everyone in Chicago was passing along and mixing tapes of it to play in their cars. It's the song that kind of made the genre. Okay. So I'm going to play y'all just a little, Ooh, little, we little snip of that. We'll snip of that. All right. Yeah. This isn't a precursor to 90s dance music. I don't know what the fuck is. It's 100% a precursor. I mean, most 90s music, at least in the early 90s, is house music. Yeah. At least, like, heavily influenced. House music with Martha Wash doing the vocals, pretty much. Yeah. But, like, Martha Wash never getting the credit for it. (laughs) Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) The two would continue to work together exclusively for another couple years, one of their other hits is Baby Wants to Ride. And and this song's pretty damn sexual. Ooh. A lot of like breathing and moaning on the, <laughs> on the part of Jamie Principal. Um, but it's actually also very political. People tend to peg house music as mindless happy times, but they can have important messages too, motherfuckers. Subliminal messaging while mm. people are high and drunk and dancing. I don't know how subliminal this was. <laughs> or overt. You can be overt too. So Baby Wants to Ride actually has like a whole section, like a breakdown, and it gets pretty political. There's the part where he just says, 
South Africa, South Africa, let my people free. Or like, yeah, mm-hmm. like let my people go. Like, like fuck off free apartheid. My people. Yeah, fuck yeah. off apartheid. And then there's a whole lyric that goes, Ronnie wants to ride me because he thinks he's king. But it's hard to ride when you're living in a fascist dream. Ronald Reagan. Yep. House music <laughs> has a central message of love and freedom. And presidents like Ronald Reagan were the complete antithesis to that. Yeah. Him, Tipper Gore. Yeah. You know. Yeah. All these wonderful conservative douche nozzles. Douche nozzles. And douche canoes. Mm. All the douche. Oh, if Tipper Gore knew Baby Wants to Ride, she would clutch her pearls. <laughs> What would an episode of Rock Candy be without a, a, just one outburst from Tipper Gore going, Huh! Ah, the pearls! <laughs> you're welcome, Tipper. We're the only ones keeping you relevant anymore. Yeah. And you're not even relevant when we mention you. So. Yeah. We're just making fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. The power plant was making money, but most of its profits were going into Frankie's production. It was also really impossible for him to DJ and run a club. With his focus all over the place, he knew the, what the best decision was. He had to close down the club. Was he the only DJ? No. He had DJs coming in and out, but it was just, you can't run a club and do like three other side gigs. Like You're running a club. This, I, I just kind of feel like there was probably another option. I just don't think, the money that he was making was just straight going into production anyway. It just wasn't worth his, not, not that it wasn't worth his time, but... It wasn't where he wanted to put his energy. Okay. Did he have a better place to put his energy? Production. Okay. He he was at this point where he was more passionate about it and just in general felt that that was a better place for him to put his energy. As in producing records? Yes. Okay. And and producing with other artists. Okay. Because again, Frankie's huge about collaboration. Mm-hmm. For him, house music means collaborating. You're working with other people. You're exchanging ideas. As far as, you know, working with Jamie, it was a lot of like, Jamie was the architect of the songs and Frankie was the one building them up. Okay. And and just like that alone is just a partnership that takes up a lot of so time. It's, it's not necessarily just production. It's also songwriting. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's... When I say production, I don't mean it in the stereotypical way that we talk about with, like, rock musicians. When you're a DJ doing producing, like, you are making a song. You're con- it's more a construction yes, than a producing, than just, like, overseeing somebody else making the music. You are actually constructing it and producing it right. at the same time. And, I mean, there that's not for nothing. There are definitely rock produ- producers who, like put a lot of their stamp in there and are like hey I, you know what bob rock bob rock for better or worse <laughs> bob, bob rock <laughs> or um rick rubin yep you know they're coming in and they're like no nah, i don't like it like that you should do it like this i'm gonna i'm gonna switch this up no nope, and that's arguably bad. that's like all rick rubin does mainly over the phone yeah while he's laying on a couch somewhere while he's laying on <laughs> or next to a pool sipping a mai tai <sighs> To be rock, to be a uh, Rick Rubin. So it was bittersweet, but he knew he was doing the right thing. Working with Jamie was taking up a lot of energy, and he was feeling the need to branch out to do other collaborations. The producing world in Chicago was pretty small, though. So by the late '80s, Frankie decided it was time to move on. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the other thing too. It's like he didn't want to stay in Chicago forever. He was going to want to re- 
you know, uproot and leave. Right. His mark was certainly made, though. In his entire time working in Chicago, he had inspired many young men to become DJs themselves. Jesse Saunders was one of those teens, and he created the song On and On even before Your Love came out. And this was really a song that let people know that house isn't some exclusive club. Being a DJ, you know, anyone can create house music if they have the passion for it. Mm -hmm. And I just want to play a bit of On and On because it's really crazy how this song even came out anyway. Okay. my soul they make me lose control it goes on and on just clap it to the beat because jesse thinks it's me bitch bitch i feel like this is very similar to um what i used to create on my little casio keyboard with my presets and my little like my little uh it, the Casio keyboard that I had had a little like disc on it that you could go wee wee on it. <laughs> wicka 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 wicka. Oh my god. I mean you're not that far off. It it does sound very primitive because it yeah. kind of is. It's it's mm-hmm. really the first of its kind. I guess the story goes Jesse had this he was also a budding musician at the time. Mm-hmm. He had this um collection of records. And okay. he had this one record that sounded similar to that song, and um, it got stolen. His record collection got stolen. Oh. Oh, that would happen well, a lot. Sucks. People are assholes. Yeah, Turns people out, suck. People that's suck. That's, like, way worse than stealing donuts. Yeah. How come they didn't go to juvie? I don't Fucking think anyone assholes. ever caught them. Probably not. Probably not. So, he had, um, like, a beat machine. I, I, please don't ask me what model it is. I can't remember right now. But he ended up like using that to make that mix. So he made that song himself, like mm-hmm. from top to bottom. And him and his friend basically made up lyrics. <laughs> and you can tell. But yeah, that's it's him and his like, friend doing the, the vocals. It's kind of like when my friend and I were like feeling left out because our boyfriends were in bands. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, we're going to do something. And we got shit faced, found like an Arnold Schwarzenegger like clip player on the internet oh my god you remember those things where it's just like i'll be back and you know all that shit i found a david lee roth one yeah there's like all of them basically (laughs) so we just like downloaded some like beat maker or something wow and played it and then just did like random arnold schwarzenegger um why haven't we done this i don't know but we called it the awkward magnets and oh i love it we made a cd and i don't have it anymore and i'm very sad about that because it's terrible but the whole world needs to hear it yeah i i need to hear it clearly (laughs) it can be like you know with jesse saunders getting his record stolen we'll just have to create it again bitch bitch (laughs) it is a jam though i would listen to that actually (laughs) there we go i did it i would put that on a mix Frankie and Jamie ended up spending a little time together touring in England, where they discovered house music was a more global phenomenon than they thought. Because England knows what's up. England knows what's up. Always before you we gotta, do. You gotta give it to England. 
They were unsure what to expect, but when they started performing, the thing that really caught them off guard was how white everyone was, from the crowds <laughs> to the DJs. They're like, wow, white people like this music? All these Anglo-Saxons here. are enjoying the house they, music. They enjoy the house musics. Yeah, I mean, where they came from, the house scene was predominantly black and pretty gay. And mm-hmm. if it started getting a lot of straight whites, that usually meant trouble, which is really funny because I feel like straight whites usually perpetuate the complete opposite myth. Oh, yeah. It's never the straight whites that actually like. Usually they're like, oh, my God, the blacks and the gays are coming in yeah. here ruin on our good time. It's like, no, we're ruining the, the good time. The heathens. No, <sighs> you're the heathens. The riffraff is coming in. No, you're you're pretty disgusting. Yeah. And awful. Nobody wants to hang out with you. <laughs> You get drunk you and you sit with us. Out. You can't sit with us. But in England, the house scene held the same values with just a different look. Yep. It was a sign to them that this was real. House music is a real musical genre, and they wanted it to be taken seriously. So after their trip across the pond, Frankie came back to New York City and decided to go full producer mode and began a company called Def Mix with his friends David Morales to work on mixes with and Judy Weinstein to manage the company. So fuck uh, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago's done. done. Chicago's done just because the New York City production scene was going to be a lot more beneficial to him. Okay. Here is where they brought on a whole new dimension of mixing. No longer would it just be putting songs together cut and paste style. They were overdubbing songs, reworking entire tracks, bringing in musicians, taking the song and polishing it into something new. It's remixing. This is where remixing was started. This is basically like, we are no longer Tyler Durden splicing shit in a fucking porno porno movie theater. We're actually professionals. We're making the porn. Yeah. Okay. We're no longer splicing the film together. We're making the fucking porn and you fucking like it. Yeah. You know what you get. Dick Long. Dick Long knew what was up. Yep. (laughs) We got Dick Long here. No longer are we brick slicing. We got donut dicks. Brick tapes. We got holes. We got butts. We got all these things. No more brick tracks. (laughs) I don't remember what we called it. What was it? Brick tracks? Brick tracks? What are we talking about? Splicing with the bricks and the A-tracks. Oh, what are we talking? I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember what we said 20 minutes ago. We're the fucking worst. (laughs) Somebody else who's listening to this, you remember. Tell us what it is. Yeah. (laughs) You will. (laughs) The name David Morales may sound familiar to some of you as he's worked with some pretty well-known types like Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson, Spice Girls, Seal, U2, the list goes on. So yeah, the collaboration between him and Frankie, pretty epic. Yeah, notable. In 91, history was made for house music when Virgin Records signed Frankie to their label. With more than enough material to work with, later that year, he released his first album, Beyond the Mix, and this included The Whistle Song, which would become the blueprint of house music, defining the genre. The whistle song. Yeah, I'm going to... Do I know this? Guys. No, but I'm going to play <laughs> you a little, little tittle a bit right now. A little tittle bit? Yeah.
Have I ever told you about how much I hate it when people whistle? Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's not, that's not like fucking Pete, Pete Yorn and Pete Bjorn and John. Peter Bjorn and John. Peter Bjorn and John. Peter Bjorn, comma, and John. I mean, it's their um, fault for not using commas, god it damn it. Is. It really is. Um, But that doesn't necessarily sound like human whistling. It's it sounds not. like keyboard it's, whistling. It is keyboard whistling. So but it's, it's okay, still annoying. Right? Oh, I like the whistle song. <laughs> it's, it's still annoying. And it gets real stuck in your head. Like Saturday, I just kept running around whistling it all day. I would have punched you so hard. Oh, I'm not. I'm kidding. I wouldn't have punched you. Thanks. I just would have been like, stop it. I'm too delicate to be punched. <laughs> like, you look at me like, God, it's like punching a puppy, isn't hey, it? you can change a tire. I can change a tire, but that does not mean I'm okay with getting punched in the face. <laughs> I don't think anybody is really. I don't know. I bet those straight whites who all like took over the warehouse like, no man, punch me in the face. Yeah. That's why white people can't have nice things because we bro out. <laughs> this is why we can't get punched in the face because we bro out. Yeah. Except I would just cry like, why'd you punch me in the face? Why'd you punch me? Well, anyway, I digress. But also, too, like like you said earlier with the whole, man, that sounds like early 90s dance music. Oh, like yeah. That 100% is the beat. Yeah. I mean, CNC Music Factory has a lot to... to Thank you know. Frankie Knuckles for? Absolutely. Yeah, they do. You're welcome. Well, thank, I, will, I will take it on his behalf. It's just pretty easy to see the direct correlation between house music and, and 90s R&B and 90s dance music. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. The 90s would be a busy decade for him. He ended up getting a coveted residency at the Sound Factory in New York City after another DJ flaked out. But much to his disappointment, the club worked things out with the other DJ and they would have to ask Frankie to step down. However, they understood the talent they had on their hands, Uh so they built a smaller club called the Sound Factory Bar just for Frankie. And they created a booth and sound system exactly to his specifications. I want somebody to build a bar specifically for me. Right? Like, and they're like coming in, Ashley, what do you want? What do you want for the sound system? What do you want for your DJ booth? I can't DJ. I can't do anything talented like that. But like, I can be enjoyable company. (laughs) Sometimes. 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 When I feel like it. Can we just say, like, actually, enjoyable company, asterisk. Sometimes. Fine print on the bottom. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> That's perfect. Right? That's what I'm going to put on your tombstone. Is, please do. Enjoyable. Ashley is, Ellis, enjoyable company, asterisk. Sometimes. Sometimes. That is perfect. That is absolutely a perfect description. If of you me. get murdered and you're on Dateline, I'm gonna be like, Ashley was enjoyable company. Sometimes. <laughs> and then you do the little asterisk, and Keith Morrison is like, What was that? And you're what? like, Sometimes. <laughs> I love it. So, as far as production, in 95, he released his second album, Welcome to the Real World, featuring singer Adiva. I've never heard of her before this, but their songs are pretty slapping. I it's a good album. Enjoy that name. Yeah. You would love it. It's it's just like that tells soul you exactly singing. who she is. Yeah. A diva. Mm, See, I don't think of it. Yeah, you would enjoy it. I enjoy all of these names. Yeah, so honestly, far. like all the names in the story, top notch. I assume Frankie Knuckles is not his real name. Well, no, it's not. I told you his real name at the beginning. It's like Francis Nichols. 
Which knuckles? Knuckles, nickels. Nickels, knuckles. I just realized that. Holy shit. Holy shit. I love it. I love all these names. All these fucking names. What's the deal with all these names? You just got your lobster hands right now. <laughs> Not good for a vis- audio medium, but I know. I'm here for it. Aside from his own work, he was working with his own list of big names, either producing songs or remixing their songs, like the Pet Shop Boys, his buddy Ooh. Luther Vandross, mm-hmm. Tony Braxton, and Patti LaBelle. By 97, the gears of music had shifted. No longer was rock or R&B the only types of music to be taken seriously. Rap and hip-hop, pop, and even electronic music were now getting their time in the sun. That year, the Grammys had finally included a dance category and a remix category. Oh. And Frankie won the latter in its inaugural year. Nice. As he should. Right. He was specifically. See, no Jethro Tull best heavy metal fucking Grammy. He was remixer of the year, non-classical. Good. Because the Grammys are weird with their fucking names. Anyone around during the late 90s, early aughts can agree, music changed quite a bit. Oh, Oh, did it? And quite quickly. Yes. I would even say Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> I'm talking about you, that's, New Metal. That's a franchise. Mm. New Metal's a thing also. It is. In 2004, he released another album called A New Reality. But by this time, he was... Was it N-U with an umlaut? <sighs> it wasn't. Oh. Because he's better than Missed that. Missed opportunity, but also he's better than that. He's better than yeah. that. Yeah. But by this time, he was beginning to feel like maybe the house movement was getting a little stale. Because it was. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Virgin also sucked at knowing what to do with Frankie. When his first album came out over 10 years prior, they barely made enough copies to sell. Mm -hmm. Record stores would find themselves calling locations in other states to get more copies. Mm -hmm. Because they just assumed, yeah, we want this guy, but we're not going to, like, try that hard. Yeah. Which, because it's a record label. Which, if record stores are calling other record stores like we need more records, maybe you should invest a little bit more in that. And you know what? They didn't. They didn't. <laughs> imagine that. The Grammy Award winning. Still not going to do anything yeah. like that. He was feeling a bit burnt out, but also a little unwanted. Mm-hmm. So Frankie decided to tour a bunch in lieu of producing. Okay. As he kept touring, though... Because we know that life on the road's tough. Uh-huh. He noticed a decline in his health. When he finally got it checked out, Ooh. he discovered he had type 2 diabetes. Oh, come on. He looks pretty healthy in the pictures I've seen him in. and But I mean, I guess it's just that just goes to show you, you can't fucking judge a book by their cover. I mean, I know people that work out very regularly mm-hmm. and are, in, are like... Literally the picture of health and they have had heart attacks. Right. So. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And honestly, road life is very difficult. And he even said he doesn't take great care of himself on the road. Oh, yeah. Or at least he wasn't. Even if you're one of those people that has a high metabolism, what the fuck is that like? (laughs) And you can like eat whatever you want and not gain weight. Like. You can still get diabetes. You can still eat like 7-Eleven hot dogs for dinner every fucking night and get diabetes. Yeah. That happens. Because you're having 7-Eleven hot dogs. That's just your body crying in pain. Yeah. So he gets the type 2 diabetes diagnosis. He, you know, does like a little bit to take care of himself, but he stays on the road Uh just a little bit longer until he broke his foot in a snowboarding incident in 2007. 
But what really kept him down was that he developed osteomyelitis. Uh huh. I think I said it right. Okay. I don't know. Sure. I believe you. So that is an infection in the bone. And it was so severe that he needed to have his foot amputated. <gasps> what? I know. What? Yep. And whenever he talks about it, he's like, oh, you know, and I had to get some surgery done. Like, he really did not like to talk about it. Holy shit. I know. Just he broke his foot. He's taking care of it. An infection shoots up in it. Can you imagine just like breaking your, uh, breaking your fucking arm? Yeah. Like people do all the time. Yeah. And then a few weeks later, they're like, no, we have to amputate your arm. Because there's an infection in your bone and it, like, will destroy your whole body. The fuck? I know. It's crazy. That's like some medieval shit. Right? Like, oh, you got a paper cut? Let's take the whole arm. You're dead now. (laughs) Drink this whiskey. Let's go. This is like some Oregon Trail fucking weird ass shit. Like, (laughs) It is some Oregon Trail shit. So he understandably kept out of most of his stuff for at least a year. Uh He needed time to recover. It also gave him a lot of time to think about what his next move was and wondering if the time for house would ever come back around. While recovering and unsure of what he was doing, he was approached by the dance group music project called Hercules and Love Affair. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're quite good. (laughs) That is a name I would definitely remember if I heard of it. Fair enough. Have not. So they came to him and asked him to remix their song, Blind. And this is a hard group to explain to anyone because it's clear they're heavily inspired by Euro dance music, but they have this rotating cast of musicians. So I don't know how to like explain this band to you. It is the real world of house music. Maybe. It's good. Constantly rotating and in different cities, but very much the same formula. Yeah. Uh, You know what? Yeah. That kind of works. Okay. It's all like solid dance. Menudo of house music. Oh, okay. I didn't realize they switched members. Oh, all the time? Oh, okay. Then yes, definitely the Menudo of house music. Okay. Yeah. But quite talented. Not that I'm saying Menudo wasn't. I'm just saying Hercules and Love Affair, a band worth checking out. This just similarities. Menudo's talented. This... This band's talented, too. Yeah. Talent. Talent. Talent everywhere. (laughs) Regardless, they are well known in the electronic genre. And from what I've heard from them thus far slaps, Frankie was hesitant (laughs) to take them seriously when they approached him because he was still doubtful that anyone wanted to hear his kind of production anymore. Oh, Frankie. What is this imposter syndrome you got? I'm going to blame the 2000s. Is he a Pisces? No. What is he? Oh, Oh, he's he's a Capricorn. Capricorn. (laughs) I don't know where this comes from then. No, I don't either. But also, he is a Capricorn Aquarius cusp. So, Mm. yeah. It's weird. He's quite Aquarius. Sure. I fully understand Frankie Knuckles now. (laughs) Got it. Eventually, their persistence won out, and Frankie decided to get back to production, but not without a little hesitancy, though, because he was still in physical therapy and told them he had to focus on his health. So they're going to have to wait and they'd check in and he'd keep pushing it off. Ultimately, he made them wait nine months for the remix. And he figured if they held out this long, they deserved to get what they were asking for. And he knocked out a sweet jam real quick and went right back on the road. When he was over in Europe doing some gigs, though, he was 
blown away by the amount of people asking him to play his remix of Blind. Aww. He was like, what? That that became a thing? I didn't Sweetheart, think anyone would you don't even it. know that you're a trailblazer. Yeah. I don't think he did. I think this was when he the finally minute started, he's like, like, I think he embraced it here. Yeah. Because when you see him in interviews, you're like, around this time or a little bit after, he's clearly like... Oh, I know what I am it's like, now. Oh, I'm an innovator. Oh, fuck. How do I handle this? Pretty much. It was a definitive hit in the dance world, and that gave him all the confidence he needed to get back to producing. He would end up partnering with American DJ Eric Cupper, and together they would form Director's Cut, where they would work with other artists, specifically indie ones looking for a record deal, and help them polish up whatever they had to show to a label. Mm-hmm. As Frankie would say, He'd give them the product and say, if this isn't good enough for you to get a label, you're not getting a label. Yeah. They also worked on reinventing some of Frankie's older songs, but also as well, they would come up with newer stuff as well. I'll Take You There is a really good example of their collaboration. So I just want to play a little bit of that. Okay. Principle sounds like Annie Lennox. Oh, that's lovely. That's great. That's great for everyone involved. Yeah. I love it. That's a compliment for everybody. Yep. Honestly, it is. And I really like it because it's definitely modern, but it's definitely still true to its roots. Mm-hmm. It's not like some chain smokers Avicii <laughs> bullshit. It's like, but it, but it has like a twinge of that too. Like, it's not as heavy as OG house music. It's a little bit more... It's a little lighter. It's a little lighter. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is very, like, upbeat and, like, I'm in a good mood. Yeah. I'm going to clean my house Ooh. and I'm going to have a good time and oh, I'm going to, yeah. like, you know, shake my hips while I'm dusting off this, you oh, know, nightstand. Yeah. No, I'm seeing yeah. that for me. You take me there. I'll take you there. And maybe I'll, I'll like, I'll have a nice, there. like, low ABV cider while I'm doing this. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe I'll, like, puff on some sativa and I'll yeah. just get some shit done. I'll just be, like, focused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it. Yep. Frankie was back, baby. Not yeah. only is his newer stuff a hit on the dance floors, but younger generations were discovering his original mixes from the <laughs> 70s and 80s. Original. 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 <laughs> they were falling in love with the sound and the artistry. House was being appreciated and tribute was finally being given to its forefathers. Good. About time. About time. And Frankie was happy to talk about it, doing interviews all over and explaining his process and how it had changed with the technology. This was all in addition to a newfound love for producing as well as random tour stops and festivals. Like, it was just this whole new world or just this whole final acceptance of his world, I think. I feel I like think. he would do so good at Coachella. Yeah. But, like, he's better than Coachella? Oh, he's way better than Coachella. You only do Coachella for the money. Yeah. 
That's it. He was doing festivals. Like, he was doing house festivals. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, better stuff than Coachella. Unfortunately. (sighs) Okay. Fine. I'm prepared. What is it? I like how I just have to come in with the head down, like, unfortunately. (laughs) Everything was cut very short on March 31st, 2014, when Frankie Knuckles passed away unexpectedly due to complications from diabetes. Oh, no. Frankie, wait, what did you do? I don't know. That's the thing. I have looked high and low. If anyone has the details on this, no one gives more details than complications from diabetes. And maybe it is that just as simple anything. as that. But at the same time, like, I don't know what that means. Right. Like, in so, like, interviews and everything, like, he was just, help. I don't know. I have no idea. And that's, like, nothing would tell me what exactly that and means. he wasn't even that old. Was he, like, he wasn't even 60. No. He was 59. That fucking sucks. I know. It's crazy. Frankie, what happened? People around the world mourn the loss of this musical prodigy, of the man who lived by the beat and shared it for all to experience. It's very sad and upsetting. It's very sad and upsetting because I feel like he was just feeling his oats again. And like he was just getting confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. He was just like really realizing that like he had an impact on an entire genre yep. of music. Yeah. And he was really open and accepting to all the changing technology and but like still had all the experience from the old school days. And was helping other younger Mm -hmm. uh, DJs like get their footing and get their grounding and actually making it. Yeah. This fucking sucks. Like and if you watch his interview with the Red Bull Academy because he is doing the interview. He's doing it for like a crowd of students Mm -hmm. and they're asking him questions and he's trying to give them advice. Like, so he's trying to build up a younger generation of DJs. Mm -hmm. These are all like little baby kids too. Like, come on. I say that because they were like 20. I was like, they're just babies. They're literally babies. But like, (sighs) I know. Oh, I know. I didn't realize he was dead till I started doing my research. I'm like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <sighs> I know. It fucking sucks. I know. Larry also actually died in the 90s. Oh, come on. Flip table. He apparently had a drug problem. Oh, Larry. But he got over it, but I think it had done too much damage to his heart. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Lost a lot of really good DJs. But so- also... What really fucking sucks is that, like, this is also indicative of um, people that were involved in the, like, house culture, club culture, gay culture in New York City, in big cities like New York, Chicago, in the same era that they were getting their footing, Mm -hmm. who were either hooked on drugs that just, like, didn't get the help that they needed, didn't get the health insurance, the Mm -hmm. health... um, help that they needed to live healthier lives which is also indicative of racism yeah and homophobia yeah and all of that other shit uh as far as i know larry and frankie did not i mean obviously neither of them ended up with hiv or aids that fortunately yeah um and as far as i know i don't think either of them had like any serious std stis but yeah i mean in general I mean, we all know Reagan 
era, they treated hom- homosexuals like absolute trash. Yeah. And gave them no options or benefits for Absolutely health insurance. Absolutely none. And in fact, <laughs> they just made it harder to live your life mm-hmm. as a gay man or woman or whatever. Um, and just made it so much harder to live a healthy life yeah. if you were anything but a straight white person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably conservative. Yeah. Most likely you're conservative. Most likely Jesus. Most likely. If you were not Jesus, like <laughs> you were not allowed to live basically in this era of time. Yeah. So like it just like. Ugh. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating because if they were anything but black and gay, mm-hmm. they probably would have been alive by now. At this point, Larry in time. probably. Um, I don't know about Frankie. You know, because I, I don't know, know again, what exactly he passed away from. Right, I so... I can't tell you because again, very private about the whole thing. Right, that may by maybe by design. I feel like there's a part of him that maybe knew he was dying. So maybe, and if he did and he didn't want to talk about it, then it's none of our business. Yeah, but yeah, it sucks anyway. He probably just wanted to go and get everything done he could. Which blows. It's just... It's, it's it could have fucking... been so much different. It could have been so much different, but it's not. I'm just saying, Frankie Knuckles is dead, but Ted Nugent's still alive? Where's the fucking <laughs> and justice? And Ted Nugent had fucking COVID, and he is in his 70s, and he is still fucking alive. Justice has not been served. No, never. Since his death, many compilations and tributes have been put out for him amongst the house DJs. Like I said... Frankie believed collaboration was the key to creation. He worked with anyone he could in order to see what they brought to the table in contrast to what he was doing. So these tributes were a way of keeping this mentality alive. Mm -hmm. When Frankie began DJing all those decades ago, he was convinced it was just something he would do as a youth to pass the time. Never in his wildest dreams did he think it would become not only a full-time job, but also his passion. He was in one of the pillars of electronica music, and his legend should be held up high and often. We may not be fortunate enough to hear anything new from this man, but we can certainly still appreciate and love what we were lucky enough to get while he was alive. Yeah. So if you're into electronic music at all, like, fucking play some Frankie Knuckles, man. It upsets me that um, his name is not as well known as the other white men of electronica that we know moby moby fat boy slim i chemical brothers do think fat boy like the british ones i'm a little more um forgiving of i guess or like lean because on. they're better than moby well yeah like, <laughs> but um chain smokers moby like all of these people who i feel like we're doing it more commercially and less for a passion yeah who did it more for money and less because yeah. they were trying to be innovative Skrillex. in any sort of... Mm. <laughs> Let's not get into Skrillex, who was 100% a um, grindcore yep. uh, boy. Yeah. Emo boy. Yeah. But in general, I feel like we don't give enough people of color... DJ DJs who were people of color or you know people who, queer people you know. who innovated the genre that should get 
the accolades that they deserve. They're not getting them. They're not getting them at all. Meanwhile, people know who Moby are. They know who fucking Skrillex is. They know who um, Chemical Brothers are. Yeah. They know all of them. Why don't they know Frankie Knuckles? The reason why this even exists. Yeah, it's frustrating. So hopefully we could expand y'all's minds a little bit, kids, and make you feel inspired to want to listen to some more. Yeah. Between this and disco, go listen to this shit. God damn it. <laughs> just fucking listen to it. Listen to it. Maybe I'll just make a playlist. Maybe I'll just get drunk tonight and make a fucking playlist. Make What the fuck? Listen we, to it. We haven't made a playlist in a very long time, so we, we should get on Spotify and do that. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that. Hands on hips. Maybe we'll do that. We'll think about it. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for listening. Yeah. <laughs> hope you enjoyed that story. I hope you all found it enlightening and interesting and sticking around and all that jazz. So mm. thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> if you are picking up what we are putting down here at the Rock Candy Podcast, you can always go dig into some more stuff at our website, rockcandypodcast.com. And over there you can download our episodes. Or you can also get them, I mean, wherever you want. I yeah. Think. We're on all the things. We're on podcasts. But you can also follow our social meds. We got Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we have emails. I mean, we barely have Twitter at this point. Yeah. But I basically throw like the episode updates. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't I just Twitter don't. sucks. Twitter sucks. I hate it. Basically the only thing I, I even half enjoy at this point is Instagram, so Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. if you want to give us money, if you're feeling like it, if you feel like it, you can do that too. You can go to patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast and you can give us whatever you want. Yeah, whatever you feel now, like, really, man. Don't really give a shit. Yeah. And um, maybe we'll give stuff back. Yeah. We'll try to do some bonus episodes. We might just have one this month. Sorry, guys. <laughs> eh. We'll get to another one next month. I promise. Maybe. Probably. But we'll send we're you working some. On it. We'll send you some swag too, which we're also working on. I'm so sorry. Yes, <laughs> I promise. am just very fucking terrible at sending out the uh, swag. But eventually, it gets out. It does. We promise. I it will promise get out. Promise it gets out. Yes. So swear to God, scouts on her. Yes, I see I'm, her doing it. She's. I'm not doing a scout, it. but I'm doing it. Yeah. There's no asterisks here, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, if you don't want to give, that's fine too. But to everyone who does give, thank you so much, thank our lovely you. patrons. You guys are great. We like you a lot. Yeah, you guys are doing all right. <laughs> yeah, so I think that does it for this week. Crazy stories happening again in two weeks. Indeed. Ooh, it'll be a fun story. Hopefully. I mean, like, I, I think it's going to be an interesting story. It is. So I'm excited to hear About it. About a very modern group oh my god are we doing a modern known group? a relevant group oh my <gasps> god oh my god oh. <laughs> well you guys will have to come back in two weeks for that one hopefully but hopefully yeah two weeks you better yeah <laughs> come back y'all until then party on ashley party on maggie party on you crazy kids out there Boots and pants, 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 boots and